0: Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to
1: happen, but it does it. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Hoping goals. Can you believe that?
2: This is a scary sight, people.
1: It is scary. I mean,. I never realized exactly what's going on over here, how much stuff that uh, that Matt Costa actually has to do.
2: Now I see why he's silent.
1: Well, I'm assuming he'll call me if there's any problems. I mean, if he can't hear us, because he's he's on assignment for us right now. He's trying to pull something off for us, and uh, we'll find out if it's working for sure, because we're going to have calls and stuff if it isn't going on. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure people will call to complain. Uh,
2: I'm sure as well.
1: So uh, Matt Moniz, science advisor, is here with us. We have some special guests in the studio. We'll talk to them a little bit later on. Uh, we're also going to talk to Donna LaCroix, from formerly of of the Atlantic Paranormal Society and Ghost Hunters. We'll talk to her about her current projects that she has going on, as well as a few other things that have happened to her recently. And later, later on in the show, we're going to talk about the incoming rail to the South Coast area, the MBTA rail line, which you normally wouldn't think we would talk about here on Spooky South Coast. It sounds a little bit strange to be talking about that but uh, we will talk about that because this proposed rail line is going to go through the Hockamock swamp right right through the center of the Bridgewater triangle so uh we'll see uh, if if we can talk to Donna because she has a background in civil and environmental engineering we'll see if we can get her to share some of her insights both from a paranormal and a non-paranormal standpoint about whether or not um, you know whether or not the rail can be I- impacting the, what's going on there, because uh, there's been some proposed plans of going around the swamp if necessary. Governor Deval Patrick has promised to get the rail here by 2016, and the easiest way to do that is to go through the middle of the Hockamock Swamp. But we'll talk about that later on. Why don't you tell everybody uh, about where you were a little bit earlier today? And it's okay to say the name of their radio show and their station, because they're part of the same parent company as us. So,
2: uh, Yeah, I got a chance to uh, go down and donate. Uh, $100 from Spooky South Coast uh, for the Kids with Cancer program that they had going on uh, with Jason and Grant's show. Um, I dropped off the money, said hi to them, and basically had to skedaddle because I've got a whole bunch of other things I've been trying to juggle today. It was good to see them. I haven't seen them in a while. Uh, they were happy with the donation that we were able to drop off for them. Uh in their doing well, I guess, with their new AM show uh, on AM 1630. Uh, Unfortunately, I have not had a chance to hear them, uh, but I've heard nothing but good things about this show so far. You've had a chance to listen to a little bit of, I I believe.
1: I did. I listened to last week's show and uh, most of tonight's show uh, on the way here. Uh, Last week's show, they had Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who we've had uh, numerous times here on Spooky South Coast. They talked about New England Vampires. Uh, which was, you know, different because not only did they talk about the past and the history of New England vampires, but they also brought in our friend Candace, who, uh, is better known as Vampire Kitten from Planet Paranormal. Uh, you might want to check out planetparanormal.com right now, actually. Uh, click on Studio A if you want to hear a Familiar different, voices different from kind the of spooky South Coast, so. They talked to Candace and her and her boyfriend, Kurt. Uh, they're both vampires. They're both in the vampire lifestyle. They talked to them about modern-day vampires, which is a little bit different because uh, not all vampires these days are blood-drinking, you know, undead people like we've heard in mythology. A lot of them uh, live psychically. Right. Uh, we've talked before about psychic vampires and about sucking the energy off another person, but uh, there is a, a, a subculture of vampirism where s- psychic vampires are very prominent, and they... They have an agreement with one another right. to allow each other to they actually have uh, i forget the name of the document, but they actually have like something that they sign to participate in this so they 're totally protected and it 's just really interesting that people would be willing to give up some of their psychic energy i mean i don 't have any to spare i 'm pretty sure of that, but <laughs> i, I don 't know if uh, if you 've got some that you uh, you can spare you can psychic energy oh, well
2: we all have a psychic ability whether um you know, we want to believe it or not, but we all do to some degree. Um, I'm sure you have some to spare, Tim.
1: Well, if I do, uh, I probably used it all up a little bit earlier today because I went to my first ever psychic fair. And I know that that, you know, draws up all kinds of connotations. At least it did in my mind. I thought, gee, you know, I'm going to go to this place where it's going to be a 100 crystal balls. There's going to be power strips running under every table for them to plug in these crystal balls and... You know, I thought I was on on my way to uh Shamville, but when I walked in, first of all, I saw a familiar face as soon as I walked in the door. When I saw Derek Bartlett, president and founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, we're going to give you an update of some stuff they have coming up a little bit later on. So I see Derek, and I I start talking to Derek about what's going on with him and his new edition and all the things that are going on with Capers. And so I say, you know, what what's going on here? What what, what am I getting myself into? And he said, you know, it's a lot of good people and a lot of people that are. You know, giving different perspectives of the psychic phenomena. And Derek is just as skeptical, if not more, than we are. Uh, so for him to have.
2: Probably not as skeptical as Maddie.
1: That's true. That's true. But, uh, we might have changed that, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, he, he said to me, you know, these are, these seem good people. He's seen them at a lot of different fairs. And he actually recommended a couple of them to me if I wanted to sit down and have a reading. Uh, I did not, maybe because I just didn't bring enough cash with me. Uh, the way it worked is you paid $2 to get in and it's $20 to have a reading done. They had numerous psychics. You could pick which one you wanted to have do your reading. Uh, it's definitely very different. We're going to tell you about a psychic fair coming up here in the city of New Bedford a little bit later on. So uh, that should be pretty interesting. Right now we're just going to banter back and forth while we wait for the silent assassin to get here. Because uh, and
2: help us, yeah, you know, with our technical we, issues.
1: We have we have the the lovely and talented Donna Lacroix on hold right now, so she can't hear us. But <laughs> we can't yeah. we can't talk to her because I can't figure out how to make the headphones work. So, uh, <laughs> but I I'm, I'd say I could run some of that right now. So we'll just keep uh, bantering back and forth, and we'll take your call two nine one zero five hundred. But uh, again, for right now, I I don't know how we can... How we
2: I have to say, being back actually in the studio for a change is uh, different.
1: Uh, we haven't seen you. Well, I mean, we've seen you outside of the studio, but you have not been in these walls for quite a long time now.
2: Well, about a month, uh, almost a month and a half. Yeah, maybe, so
1: what exactly was uh, was going on? Why don't you tell everybody what happened last week uh, after we went off the air down in Dover?
2: Uh, Dover? Yeah, The you referring to while well, the police were still pulling people over and... Uh, escorting them out of the various locations where they were searching for the Dover Demon.
1: Yes, uh, Lauren Coleman actually picked up the story and, and uh, carried Leverage it on Cryptomundo.com. Yeah. So. But uh, just to recount for everybody, at least what it was like for you to be in Dover on that night.
2: Well, I found it extremely intriguing because reading these stories you know, years ago when the event first happened, um, 1977, I was a, a kid back then research. So, of course, I, one of the first books I started reading about the local areas was Lauren Coleman's, of course, and uh, that particular ca- account. And uh, to actually physically be there when when it was like 30 years later to the exact moment, uh, it, was, it was pretty awe-inspiring. And what made it really interesting, and you can ask John Horrigan about this, is the deer that came by and then continued across the road and down into the hollow following along this river and this made me wonder is like well wait a minute if we have such large animals as you know deer following the same exact path where it was originally sighted what's to stop something else from following down the same path be it you know a being that's not yet understood or discovered yet an alien entity lost in some some way for whatever reason maybe you know it's just something that is a spirit and you know i can't say what the dover demon was all i can say is that there are definitely animals still using this uh pathway today and we went down to the second sighting which was in direct line where this river or small brook continued on and this brook continued and ended out at the last spot where the last sighting was seen and it's pretty much a straight line. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. And as I listened to the show afterwards, because where I was I couldn't hear, and obviously I couldn't stay on the phone for all that long and listen to while you guys were talking. And, and you anybody, guys were already validating hear, yeah. the things that I was talking about.
1: Well, and Lauren talked about it a bit on his appearance on Coast to Coast uh, earlier this week. He also talked about, you know, uh, the fact that all these are in his theory uh, that what it was was simply just something being seen trying to get back to that water source, and what you're saying is kind of almost like uh, along the same lines but different. You're saying that instead of you know darting from wherever across the street, it was actually coming going down the water line, popping up every once in a while to see what was going on at, at street level. I'm assuming that's what you're.
2: Actually, what it is is that street level is where it had to cross.
1: To follow along that or water water path. line. See, again, not seeing the sight myself. That's I'm what just, I'm
2: saying. You know. the, uh, the deer came up over the up over the rock wall and um, across the road, and then on the other side, and then went back down into the valley following the river.
1: Now, now you've heard all the reports. Uh, you've heard Bill Bartlett's account and, and the reports from the other people that saw it. What do you think the intelligence level of this creature was, if you had to guess, based on how it interacted with the people that saw it?
2: It was de- definitely uh cognitant it it knew that it was alive and knew it was dealing with other other life forms mm-hmm. um whether I could say it was intelligent uh at least basic rudimentary intelligence that's that's about the most I could say
1: well, we seem to have oh that's that's on the speakers behind me. don't listen to that. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be playing with that. It's, Why it's, don't
2: you wait for Maddie? I'm get like it? a kid in a candy
1: shop over here, though. It's like I've never actually sat on this side of things before. I'm waiting it, for
2: something that goes, you know. You've started some sort of self-destruct sequence or something.
1: Well, as far as I can tell, I've done everything correctly because nobody's called us to say, hey, there's nothing on the air. We're not hearing that beep. The red light's flashing. So far, so good. We have our our special uh, high-tech monitoring equipment over there on the floor. Yeah, that's
2: indicating that we are definitely on the air. So we
1: we are. There's something going over the air. It might not be us, but somebody's hearing something. And we'd invite you to call in and let us know if you can hear us, but we can't hear you if you do. So out of everything that I thought to ask Matt, I never thought to ask him, and how do I turn the headphones? on if i have to
2: I, per- I think it's a pretty ominous sign that i even forgot to bring my own headphones in here well, because i haven't
1: been in here so you know you aren't going to need them now yeah. do you have anything else planned coming up uh, as far as you know you're gonna get a chance to be home for a little while
2: uh at least for the next two two or three weeks uh one of the things i do have scheduled and planned is the 60th uh anniversary of roswell uh, i'm going to be out there for that week which is the fourth of july week Obviously, I'm going to try and do a couple of remotes from out there while we're, you know, provided that our schedules will be able to, uh, you know, coincide, Mm -hmm. you know, barring any Red Sox games or what have you.
1: Well, we haven't even talked about that yet. We're actually hoping, and I've talked to station management here, we're hoping that when the Red Sox do... Kind of preempt us. We'll have an opportunity to go on before the games, kind of like what we did with football, and, and we get a different audience, and that's when we can bring you.
2: We also did that with the March Madness, I believe. I think on a couple of games. Yeah, yeah that we'll, would be nice.
1: You know, we do what we have to do to to move around the sport because you know how WBSM is—they're news talk sports. Right. No, they're not news talk sports paranormal. So uh, as far as we know, then uh, you know they people more people want to hear the Red Sox than us. We know that we're we're not we're definitely. Uh, fine with that but so uh well what else what else uh, has been going on i know that there's been some interesting um uh developments for spooky south coast uh on the internet according to matt casa as he's telling me he says uh we're having some trouble with what we were trying to do there but we'll we'll figure that out
2: okay it would be nice if he was actually here
1: yeah he'll be here soon enough uh he says he can hear us fine so we know he'll be here soon enough okay Okay. This is going to go down in history. It's probably our worst show. I feel so bad for Donna because she agreed to join us tonight.
2: But then again, you probably feel so, so thankful that we have the silent assassin when he's here.
1: It does make us appreciate him more. If I paid him, I'd give him a raise. (laughs) All right, so why don't we see here? Well, first of all, we'll tell you about this uh, coming up here in the city of New Bedford. It's the Greater New Bedford Circle C-U-U-P-S Presents, which I think that stands for something. Uh, we'll figure it, figure that out. It's the first. It's the man. Uh, now, you know, I have to do this job. Now I can't do my regular job. I, <laughs> I've no longer been able to read. It is their May Day Metaphysical Fair. Proceeds to benefit the Facts and Animal Rescue League of Greater Fall River and the Greater New Bedford Circle, CUUPS. It'll be next Saturday, May 5th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the First Unitarian Church at 71 8th Street in New Bedford. Join them for what's going to be their biggest fair yet. They will have readers such as Ron O'Berry, a Native American spiritualist channel. They'll also have Cynthia Fontaine, an animal communicator, which this is really interesting. If you bring in a photo of your pet, she can use that to make uh, a reading and inferences about your pet. So that that's definitely interesting. Also, Doridge Ann Bridgehouse, who is a numerologist, as well as mediums, palmistry, runes, taro, tarot readings, seashell readings, and many more. They're also going to have astrology readings, too. Uh, as well if you want to check that out holistic providers such as barbara francis who practices reiki and crystal healing i got to see the crystal healing uh... going on today somebody lays down on a table and they they hang yeah. these crystals over them it's, it's pretty interesting but uh... wear wear clean socks because you know you have to take your shoes off and and put your feet out for everybody to
2: the idea of me taking shoes off perry is not a good idea
1: yes exactly uh... they're also going to have sun yoga and massage uh, chair massage they'll have vendors Aura photography. I got to talk to the woman that runs the aura photography today. That was really strange. That's something, Moniz. I'm going to put you on the case uh, of trying to figure that out. She has a very expensive uh, Polaroid Instamatic camera with some special sensitive equipment on it, and she can actually capture your aura in the photograph. Uh, you know, based on the chakras and and
2: I've already seen it done.
1: Okay. Yeah. Wh- what's your opinion on it? Do you?
2: They're pretty pictures.
1: Really. Well, I, I'm interested in because a lot of people there were, were backing up what was showing up in those photographs with their own life experiences and what was going on. The woman who takes the pictures, and I, I don't have her card with me, but she doesn't make inferences into the photos and what they mean, but everybody that was having a photo done was more than happy to, to try to figure it out. Uh, they'll also have crystals. They'll have face painting, jewelry, stained glass, pagan and Wiccan supplies, and wild tree culinary herbs. They'll also have workshops. Now, the workshops are free. Once you're inside, and it only costs a dollar to attend this fair, and they're going to give you a raffle ticket as well to try to win some prizes. So, but included in that dollar entry fee are workshops such as the Witch's Herb Garden, numerology, palm reading, runes, and more. They'll also have live music from Jonathan Danforth, who plays the Celtic fiddle, and Gypsy John on the folk guitar. In the afternoon, join us in the Labyrinth Garden for a dance around the Beltane Maypole. Festive garments are encouraged to put you in the playful spirit. So she did say that the woman I spoke to earlier, Linda, did say they want everybody to come dressed to dance around the maypole. I'm assuming people who would come dressed around the maypole, you know, they know what that means because I yes. don't.
2: Becomes a log. Well, another little. Bit.
1: I'm just thinking, you know, fertility and they're yeah. running around with the strings, and I don't, I don't want, you know, that's a scene I don't want to put together what it actually means but uh they will be doing readings at this fair 15 minute readings for just $15 so maybe you're a little bit skeptical about psychics as i was you know here's your chance to go out there and and sit down and actually have a psychic reading done and it's only going to cost you $15 what do you got to lose except that skepticism right
2: yeah well you don't want to know my view on psychics
1: well wait a minute why don't you tell me hold on <laughs> got it there right. you go you know what? Uh, it was funny earlier today uh Matt Costa said to me, where is Matt Costa? Hopefully he's coming here. Matt Costa said to me, you know, uh, do you know if Moniz is going to the psychic fair later? And I s- actually said, hold on, let me ask him.
0: <laughs>
1: I guess not. So anyway, as I said earlier, we got to run into our friend Derek Bartlett at the psychic fair. And uh, he wanted everybody to know that the Barnstable Village Haunted History Walking Tour is up and running again. Uh, The season has begun. The Haunted History Tour is a spine-tingling walk through the ghostly pass of Barnstable Village, where you will hear stories of ghosts, mysterious vanishings, smuggling, and the history that makes this quaint New England village unique. The evening includes a two-hour walking tour, sometimes longer, of the village's haunted locations, and participants will visit places such as the Crocker Tavern, the Old Jail, Cobbs Hill Cemetery... Uh, Cape Cosmos, Haunted Building, the Barnstable House, and many others. Hear how Barnstable contributed to the start of the Revolutionary War and why a woman got tired and fat. You try and get out there early while you can. Uh, the tours are $15 for adults. Uh, children 8 to 13 are $8 and children under 8 free. You can also uh, book a private tour. They're available for groups of 8 people or more, but a 14-day notice and deposit are required. They start at $18 per person. Uh, and they can even customize the tour for you. So from, from May 1st, which is coming up in just a couple of days, through October 30th, the day before Halloween, that's a, a good number of months. For that entire amount of time, every evening at 7pm, every evening at 7pm, there will be a Haunted Barnstable tour. And Derek will be there for like 98% of them. So that's, uh, that's really interesting that, you know, the guy who creates it all, has to be the one to run it all. You think, you know, you get to kick back and watch the fruits of his labor, but no, he'll have to do all the work himself. So every evening at 7 p.m. from May 1st to October 30th, to reserve your space or for more information, you can call Capers at 508-224-7321, or you can email them at thesociety at capers.com. If you just go to their website, capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com, you can find out more. Uh, the tours do begin at the Sturgis. Line. And one more item that we'll let you know about. There are only 100 tickets available. They're going fast. Sign up now. The first annual CERT Power Conference, that's Spirit Encounter Research Team. Their first ever Power Conference will be on Saturday, September 22nd, and September 23rd, the Sunday, uh, at the Colonial House Inn on Main Street in Yarmouth Port. So the cost for the conference is $150 before June 30th and $200 after that. Tickets are non-refundable. What you get admission to the conference, a buffet lunch, a tour of a haunted inn, a meet and greet. Day 1 will feature speakers like Rob Trembley from Cert, uh Rick Boisvert, the medium from Cert. I got to find out the correct way to pronounce his name, which I think we're going to have Rob on uh, next week or the week after so he can he can let us know a little bit more. Uh as well as Keith Sandra and Carl Johnson of Near good friends of our program, Andrew Graham of Near, Patrick Burns of Court TV's Haunting Evidence, and, of course, Derek Bartlett, president and founder of Capers, because you can't have a conference on Cape Cod without inviting Derek Bartlett, the guy who is out there investigating Cape Cod all the time. So, Day two will feature vendor and group tables, and there's still space available. If you want to get a hold of Rob to try to book one of those uh, tables, you can go to rtrembly at certparanormal.com. There's also numerous workshops that are going to be taking place as well. Just go to their website, certparanormal.com, and you can find out more information there as well. So that's, uh, those were our announcements that we have to tell you about. <laughs> so now we're going to invite our in-studio guest uh, to talk with us for a little while. And, and Donna, we, we hope that you're hanging on and having a good laugh at what's going on. You don't need to put the headphones uh, yeah, on. It's gonna say, not going to make a difference. You wouldn't want to bother with the headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Riveting radio. The lucky thing about this is we can edit all this out before it goes to podcast. All right, let's turn on your microphone for you. And uh, so, why don't we say hello to Rob? Rob, I'm sorry. How do you pronounce your last name? Is it Kaiser? Kaiser? Okay, because we have a football player here named Kazer. and the only difference is it's a U instead of an O. No. So, uh, no. and <laughs> you are actually you've come a long way to come and sit here in the spooky studio with us. Yes, I am. Why don't you tell everybody where you are from and uh, your, your group, and maybe even a little bit of why you're here? All righty.
3: Uh, I'm with a group called Shadowland Investigators from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we came out to uh, do a little bit of a place to start. A lot of people know about it, and we thought that it would be a fantastic spot to uh, start to filming.
1: Now, the name of your uh, investigative group is
3: Shadowland Investigators.
1: And about how long have you been together?
3: Oh, together about four years now.
1: Uh, what type of approach you take? I know that you know some groups are strictly scientific, some groups are strictly uh, metaphysical, some groups try to com- combine a little we, bit of. We each. try
3: to do a little bit of each. Uh, we like to think that maybe we could use the metaphysical side to help the science side, and uh, the science side to help prove what the psychics say.
1: It's a good theory. Sometimes it doesn't work, though. It, it's
3: it, 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 it's a, it, like all theories. Sometimes they don't always pan out. Not the, uh,
1: it's not the. It's not the. What's the word I'm looking for? It's not the uh, easy relationship that you would think it would be.
3: Uh, No.
1: (laughs) Because, you know, you can, everything's great when, you know, the science side can be proven and you can say, hey, look at what's going on. But when you start getting into the metaphysical stuff, it's, for some people, it's just not solid enough evidence.
3: Well, there's always a level of disbelief whenever you deal with a psychic, definitely. Um, And part of our hope is that uh, maybe we can dispel some of that as we go.
1: And uh, do you think that the numerous other paranormal programs that keep I, popping up? I
3: would like to think so. And uh, more importantly, uh, we also include other groups with, with our filming. So we try to get a whole bunch of different ideas. Uh, the most important thing of all goes, hunting is to be safe first and have fun second.
1: Yeah, we did have a lot of fun. Yes, we did. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Um, I think we were safe for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I do recall a certain investigator and myself uh Getting a little bit confrontational at a certain no. point, yeah. <laughs> no, but you know sometimes uh, you have to you have to scare them out. Are, are you a big provoker? Do you believe in provocation if necessary?
3: Um, I don't generally provoke. Uh, I don't think it's necessary most of the times. But uh, that night, I, nor uh, wise. I did.
2: No, I'm saying I'm saying it's generally not wise to as well. No, it's
3: not wise to do it unless <laughs> you uh, generally want your fanny kicked.
1: Uh, well, uh, ben, being in the Lizzie Borden house uh, quite a few times myself now, and I'm kind of—I uh, th- think that's why I get a reaction out of them because they don't like me anymore. They're—they're uh, they're pretty uh, mean to me when I go there.
3: Well, I definitely get a very negative reaction myself. So.
1: <laughs> Which, of course, everybody can find out about when they when they watch the show. Yes. Now, uh, uh, can you <laughs> reveal some of the other locations that you might be going to? Can you give us a general idea of the of the? actual haunts that you might be, not necessarily specific, but sure. some of the activity.
3: Uh, we'll be doing um, the Fenton Hotel in, in uh, Fenton, Michigan, very haunted locations. As a matter of fact, my very first investigation was ever in this hotel. Uh, we'll be doing uh, different old locations within uh, Michigan and, and our surrounding area. And then in June, we'll be flying to England.
1: Uh, now, uh, if you get got your passports in order and everything, I hope? Uh,
3: yes, and uh, under assumed name as well.
1: <laughs> How are they receiving... Uh, we know how the uh, supposed haunted locations in america are receiving this media coverage right. we know that they're for the most part you know welcoming it with open arms because hey it's television and it's promotion and it helps but england a little bit more reserved as a culture uh, a little bit more protective of these haunts because they've had them for a lot longer than we've even been a country uh, what's the reaction you get when you say hey we want to come and poke around out here
3: uh, for the most parts yes um as far as paranormal in the United Kingdom, you'd, you'd be surprised at how open they are and uh, how much they really get into it. Uh, it's a little bit different uh, ghost hunting in uh, England. Uh, they do things way differently. Uh, traditionally, when we see something here, uh, we want to go investigate it. Mm-hmm. In the U.K., they tend to run. Um, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Really? Uh, is, yeah.
1: is it more just because they've been surrounded by it and... You know, as a culture, they realize it's better than just not to poke that hornet's nest with a stick?
3: No, I think a lot of it has to do with the way they just brought up. I mean, we look at it differently than they do, and there's just no getting around it.
1: Well, it it seems like as this paranormal uh, spreads more and more, as it becomes more and more popular, other regions of the world are, are going to be affected by it. I know Matt Moniz has a, a trip planned with, with TAPS to China. Yeah. And that's you know. I also
2: got another trip planned myself, going back to England to do some more uh, crop circle research and a whole bunch of other things this summer.
1: So it's really it's always been a worldwide phenomenon. We know that this stuff happens everywhere. We know that every culture through history has had, you know, this type of activity that they've reported. But through all these years, it hasn't had the media attention that it has now you know it's always been a little story somebody might cover on halloween or uh maybe there's a magazine article you know here's some strange and unknown stuff for you but it's never been you know reality television like it is now it's never been what are you so
2: talking about most of our history that's what our first story started off as ghost stories
1: well but i mean in terms of the electronic media okay it's kind of been a, a niche group and a a, a genre it hasn't been prominent in what it is. You know, now when you go on, uh, I don't, you know, I have Comcast Cable here. I don't know what you guys have out where you're from, but, you know, when you're watching Comcast Cable, it's got the little box that pops up with the info from the shows, and at the very end it says what genre, what category it's from, and paranormal has its own category in terms of Comcast cable listings. Really? And there's TV shows that I wouldn't even think are paranormal that are being put into this paranormal listing because they're of the same genre. Travel Channel has numerous shows, uh, even Animal Planet. You know, they have these cryptozoology shows that fall under what I would have thought would be science and nature is paranormal. So more and more stuff is falling under that tag. And, uh, you know, like the the guest that we'll have a little bit later on, Donna LaCroix, she was there from the start of this big explosion uh, with with ghost hunters and seeing – uh, that there was this readily available market for it uh, that's now finally being tapped into. Uh, do you think that, you know, there's other parts of the world where uh, can you picture somebody investigating, uh, you know, in the far reaches of Africa, uh, maybe in some of these uh, Tibetan villages, you know, these, these, these places where there's been all this activity that's been spiritual more than paranormal?
3: I think you will see... Um more people going everywhere around the mm-hmm. world to investigate. I think we're just happen to be in a time when people are starting to reach out and think beyond, uh, their simple religious beliefs now and looking for other avenues of, uh, spiritual, spirituality.
1: Do you have a basic, uh, fundamental belief people that have passed on? Are you looking at them as residual energy? Are you looking at them as, uh, you know, the, the multi-universe theory of, of interdimensional windows?
3: I think any good ghost hunter would consider all of those a ghost. Um, it's just so many different aspects of a haunting that uh, you can't simply focus on one thing. You have to be willing to explore all avenues.
1: Well, uh, hopefully, uh, as this spreads and it's, it's going to become more diluted, we know that. Yes. We know that that's bound to happen, but hopefully, the quality can continue to rise to the top uh, as it has been more or less. People, that's that's what's so great about this field is people who are well researched and well versed in the paranormal can five minutes say. You know, uh, I'm not trying to call out any particular shows, but we know who's got a reputation of being, you know, less than accepted in the paranormal community, which ones are just for show. Right. Uh, Celebrity Paranormal Project took a number of hits on this show as well as others. Uh, Most Haunted, uh, which is on the, the Travel Channel, Channel, I believe. Channel, yes. Yeah, That's taken a lot of hits. There's so many of these shows that people have said, you know, I just I, I can't believe anything they're saying because, A, there's been the reports that things have been made up. Uh, and, you know, crew members that have said things are made up or or what have you. And B, when there is that scrutiny, they can't respond to it. If you you can scrutinize Jason and Grant and Taps all you want, and they'll come back with an argument for it, and they'll vehemently defend what they do. Uh, some of these other groups will say, hey, I'm still going to be on next Tuesday night at 9, so it doesn't matter to me if you don't believe what I have to say. And I think it's your responsibility as, I don't know, should we say scientists or, or people working in what we believe to be a science, that they have to have some accountability for it.
3: Well, you know, the thing is, is that you have to look at, are they approaching ghost hunting as an entertainment value? Mm-hmm. Uh, most Haunted, most definitely, is an entertainment show more than a ghost hunting show. And I think it gives the people there a little thrill, so I really don't see a problem with it.
1: Well, I'm hoping that uh, your show will be seen for entertainment value because uh, we're pretty entertaining guys. At least no, we like I'm to sure. think so.
3: Right, well, we had a bunch of laughs that night, so...
1: i I will i will reveal this a little bit uh not not to give away any spoilers for the show but uh and i don't know if it'll make it into the show with the editing process but i did use dowsing rods for the first time did you something that i had never tried before i would never really put much stock into uh and as you know as i said with the psychic fair once i actually tried it and saw it it did open my eyes a little bit uh to to what it can be at the very least i know if i'm ever lost in the woods i can find water (laughs)
3: <laughs> a dead body. And, and i was also
1: uh, i was also thinking too uh this, this is probably the the unscientific side of me here because my mind isn't as analytical as, as matt Moniz's and i don't always i'm not always aware of the scientific ramifications of what i'm doing but uh when i was using these dowsing rods i was standing right outside the bathroom you know where there's like water pipes and, was that probably not the best place to be using them do you think
3: no, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I don't use them much myself. Okay. So I, <laughs> well, have you tried? You must have. I have tried them. I've used them a few times, and you know my my feelings is I'm still more of a scientific guy. Yeah. I still want proof. You
1: want hard data, and anytime you're asking questions to thin air, it's not necessarily. Uh, well, I mean, unless it's EVPs and you can actually hear the response back, but for right now, uh, I'm still holding reserving judgment on on the dowsing rods, but uh, the the people that were there uh, with your team, they were very knowledgeable in what it was that they were doing, what they were using and explaining. You can go get some willow branches and make your own dowsing. Mm-hmm. So uh, at least they know what they're doing. So we didn't have to know no. because they, they can pick up that end they of things. They do
3: me look good on that end of things.
1: Now, uh, is there a plan of thinking, hey, its it's a bed and breakfast, they're just trying to sell the place?
3: Well, you know, you hear so much about the place and then you wonder, can it live up to the hype? And boy, did it ever. It was an incredible location to be at even without uh, uh, being a filming crew I mean it was just I recommend anybody that's ever wanted to go there go it's, it's a wonderful location
2: it's a great place even just for its historic value yes. never mind just being haunted it's a point in history that everybody knows about uh, being at the location itself the owner's done a wonderful job putting the place in a, in a period type of correct yes. atmosphere she's done very well with that and uh The people there are actually quite pleasant and amiable, and they try and make you feel at home as much as you can feel at home in a place that had a double homicide in it.
1: (laughs) Well, I I always say when I walk in the the back door and and Lee Ann's there, I always walk in and say I'm home because I did get that feeling of it, you know, from the first time I walked through the doors. I felt it reminds me a lot of my grandparents' house where I grew up, and I feel comfortable there. Uh, There's some things I feel uncomfortable doing there, uh, you know, I feel uncomfortable when I'm yelling out into the thin air, hey you come on let's see what you got. Okay. But for the most part it, it feels very homey and it's it's funny because they don't actually live there. No. You know, they, they they have their own Leanne and her staff they have their own places where they go to live, but it just has a very homey, lived in feeling and uh, probably the funniest part of it was when we were there. Uh, the other night, I'm looking through. They have a bookshelf in the parlor where they have numerous books on the case and DVDs and everything. And then in that same set of DVDs is the complete collection of Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it reminds you, yes, you are in in a home. You know, uh, whether or not it's it's their home, but it is a home. So we highly recommend that you go there and stay.
2: I mean, yeah. you can tell it's truly a home because where is everybody gathering to talk whenever they're there? Exactly. Oh, in the kitchen.
1: Exactly, in the kitchen. <laughs> May, oh, Maybe that's because it's the room that we're least afraid of, too.
2: Okay. <laughs> that's it's also where they keep the food. Uh, yeah, well, that's why you are food. there. True. Hey, um, every time I'm there, I'm always helping the cook,
1: though. You are. You are, and Andrea appreciates it. But those of us that eat the food don't. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully the silent assassin is on his way back in, and if he's not, he better get here soon because we're coming up on the news. I think I see his truck. We're coming up on the news, and I, I'm not sure I know how to do this. This is uh, outstanding. We appreciate everybody being patient with us and, and holding on and uh, staying on. We have a call on the line, and we'll get to you just as soon as we can. Hang for a little while. All right, well, I, I feel terrible and about we this. we are but so sorry. It is poor planning on my part yet again. I said to to Matt, just, you know, let's write down a list of what to do. And as you can (laughs) see, I have a numbered list, and I was able to get everything done perfectly except I forgot to ask.
2: I should have been over there when he was putting that together.
1: Which button operates the head? Well, you wouldn't remember it either. You would have forgotten, too. (laughs) We take things for granted here so easily.
2: (laughs) Well, at least when it comes to him and operating the equipment, yeah.
1: You want to go down and see if he needs to be let in if that was him? Sure. Hold on. Okay. And what I'll do is while Matt Moniz is doing that. Oh, here he is. Alright. Well, what we'll have uh, the silent assassin do is we'll have him get over here really fast, put us into commercial, so we can slide him into the big chair, and then we can move on from there.
0: Turn on all your lights.
1: Welcome back to the program, formerly known as Spooky South Coast. Next Saturday night, there will be another show in our place because we're going to get booted off the air for being terrible. <laughs> oh, we did what we could there with, with. Uh, if, if we weren't booted, booted off now, um, before this, then we're not going Th- okay. to. This is uh, this is see, nothing compared to our first show. You, yeah, that's true. We we were terrible then, and they stuck by us, and we appreciate it. And uh, I'm definitely going to be coming in here for some lessons. And, and how to work this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I That'll make it. two of us. You know, but we have to, in the interest of full disclosure, that wasn't our fault. I was doing what I needed to do to adjust the right levels, and it's not our fault. Have we ever, in the year and a half that we've been coming here, come in here and had no power supply running to our headphone box? No, not, not yet, but it's sabotage. You never know. It's a crapshoot whenever you come in here. That's true. And you know what else is a crapshoot? Our live streaming on planetparanormal.com. Uh, according to Matt Costa that was not working. So, but maybe uh, you can hear us through Planet Paranormal. If that's the case, please give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508 500 We're actually about to enter the news, and I, I wanted to bring Donna in before the end of the first hour because you said she can only stay with us for a little bit of time. I feel bad because I, I don't want to bring her in here with two minutes left to go. You know, say, hi, okay, sorry, we got to go. So this is actually the, the worst thing that I've ever done to a guest. I thought previously the worst thing that I ever did to a guest was making Kristen Gartland wait through a 11-inning a Red Sox game and making her wait to talk to us and then only giving her about 20 minutes to talk to us. I thought that was yeah. the worst thing I've ever done to a guest. But uh, Kristen can take it. You know what I mean?
2: Are you saying Donna's not a tough little cookie i beg to differ
1: well no I, I i know that she's tough and i know that she can take it but i'm saying like no like Kristen can take it like i'm saying like she can and she'll like it
2: like i'm just gonna <laughs> keep my mouth
1: shut <laughs> well but, uh we we will be uh having her back on soon as well to talk about some upcoming stuff and and uh, we'll have a, a debut of a new uh podcast sponsor sometime down the line as well so We've got about a minute left before we come up to the CBS News. On the other side, no weak and weird. We're going to skip that totally. We will have Donna LaCroix as long as we can keep her on the line for. Uh, and we will cover as much as we can in that brief period of time. Uh, and then maybe, you know, we'll. Well, look
2: at it this way. She just gets to rest her voice.
1: She is. She's re- now she should be ready. She should know everything she wants to say, she should be prepared. And, what know,
2: name she's going to call us. Yeah,
1: exactly. She's had plenty <laughs> of time to think of the perfect insults. Well, she's already got the ones ready that she calls you, so. Yeah, true. We all have a, a, a list that we share amongst ourselves. It's like one of those MySpace bulletins where everybody adds something to the bottom, like, you know, movie uh, titles. We okay. just keep add, adding new bad words to call you. Okay. And, uh, so you can check that out at myspacecom spooky south coast. We'll, we'll send you that bulletin. Always work in the plug. Alright, so we're coming up on the news on the other side. We promise you, Donna LaCroix, if she hasn't hung up on us and hates us now.
0: I know who you are. Spooky South Coast. That's a
3: good show, man. You know what? I got a theory about your show. You guys got
0: no idea what's going on. Well, excuse me for having enormous flaws that I don't work on. Spooky South Coast is bad.
4: The key to the whole thing is to think as a child. And for me, that comes very easy. I can smell your to years.
3: I'm not afraid. You will be me. mm-hmm. welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural or something, but is something that isn't.
1: Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. The silent assassin Matt Costa in his chair where he belongs. And science advisor Matt Moniz along as well. And we have a guest on the phone line with us. Uh, You know her from the the show Ghost Hunters and the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Well, she's not with them anymore, but she's going to give us some some news and updates into what she is doing now. Uh, numerous projects on the horizon. Uh, a little bit different. Not, not really in the paranormal field, but uh, we will find out more, and we'll also find out how she's doing generally, and we'll talk a little bit about the the Bridgewater Triangle as well. It's interesting whenever we can bring the Bridgewater Triangle into our discussions with other non-Triangle associated guests, so we're excited about this possibility. So uh, let's talk to Donna LaCroix. How are you, Donna?
5: I'm good, guys. How are you? We didn't keep
1: you on hold for too long, did we?
5: <laughs> I was holding my breath, actually. I just turned three carried it. I, I even sent you guys a MySpace uh, message saying, wow, I was laughing my butt off over here the entire time. That's, but you it, did very well, very thank well. Thank you.
1: The, the look of panic on my face belies your comments, but uh, <laughs> we did get through it.
5: You did. You did very, very well, considering the circumstances. But I was, I was thoroughly entertained, and I, I told uh, Matt Moniz when he clicked over... Uh, that you know, I'm just sitting here, I'm laughing and quite amused and uh you know, I think you got a permanent listener out of me from here on out. <laughs>
1: okay, excellent. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned MySpace, uh, because that's one of the things that we wanted to address and let's just address it right off the top of the bat here. You are alive.
5: I am alive. I am well, I am breathing, and uh I'm all um all in one piece. So yeah.
1: <laughs> Contrary to the report now you were you were involved in, in an accident a few weeks ago.
0: Yes. And
1: yes. uh it for, for those who don't know Why don't you kind of explain what happened At least as much as you want to share uh,
5: Yeah, I mean okay. The Reader's Digest version is um, I had uh, gone out with night, one night With a friend of mine And um, we were driving back home To my apartment And um, we got hit It was a hit and run by a drunk driver um, But uh, She's fine, I'm fine The car's not fine um, And it, it turned out that it was somebody, believe it or not, uh, that we actually knew who just freaked out on the scene and, and left. Um, so we, we're keeping matters really quiet mm-hmm. and resolving it between all of us. It, it definitely uh, it was a wake up call for for both the driver for both drivers actually. And uh, and I'm just you know very very lucky gal. That's all I can say. And uh, you know there are lessons to be learned out of everything, including accidents. So
1: i am and most people say you know you don't realize uh something until it happens to you and you know through ghost hunters and and through your work in the paranormal you've been able to enter a lot of people's homes and a lot of people consider you to be you know a friend or like family and you've seen the the community that's grown like on myspace or the taps message boards of people who know you and care about you and so maybe you know this is a good wake-up call like you said for them too
5: you know, I just I have to say thank you to everybody. The outpouring of support and well wishes was just incredible. Um, and the healing vibes from the Reiki um, Reiki practitioners out there and from everybody and the, from their thoughts and prayers to me. I, I just, you know, I was overwhelmed with that in itself. I just I couldn't believe it, really. I mean, you just, you know, you, I think you get into the habit of, of reading the news and all this, you know, um, about the war and you read all these horrible things that go on in the world and humanity and things like this just restore your faith in uh, on a microscopic level you know in my own world level so i um you know i'm very moved and touched by everybody's outpouring of love and support um and and i have to say i did definitely um definitely had an angel looking out for me that night because there's no way i should have walked away how easily i walked away so well, uh yeah
1: and and now uh you know You can put it in your past and, and like you said, learn what you need to learn from it and and hopefully everybody out there will think twice, uh, you know, and and you're from Rhode Island and Rhode Island has that big campaign right now. We play the PSAs uh, here on our station as well, you know. Buzz driving is drunk driving.
0: Yeah,
5: absolutely. You know, you don't realize uh, how life can change in a split second from from driving under the influence, even if you only had a couple. It's amazing. Um, In fact, the following week, i had a near close collision with um happening in one week it really opened my eyes to the need to spread the word and awareness about it
1: and and defensive driving is something that we take for granted uh, you know we just slip into uh our own you know thoughts and and our own daydreams when we're behind the wheel and you have to realize you have to be on your guard not for your own driving ability you can be the best driver in the world but True. The, the three thousand other cars you're going to pass on your way to your destination, they might not be.
5: Yeah, you don't know. I mean, people, whether they're under the influence, on a cell phone, uh, you know, spaced out to the radio. I mean, it could be a number of things too. Alcohol definitely is a contributor to you know poor decisions behind the wheel. But
1: they could yeah. also be listening to the first hour of this show and thus falling asleep <laughs> behind the wheel.
0: That's <laughs> another possibility.
5: No, I bet they are well, They have. Some <laughs> through it. I certainly did. It kept me awake. <laughs>
1: well, uh, now with it, with everything that happened, though, uh, you still should be hopefully healthy enough for this full slate of activities you have coming up. Uh, especially the big one being the uh, the the X X Factor conference.
5: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I am, you know, alive and well and, and doing good. I'm actually back to working out, um, <laughs> which was one of my missions a few months ago to shed some of the winter weight that I put on. So that's an indication of of how far I've come since the accident. I uh, I definitely am walking better and you know it's I'm able to work out which would be my excuse on any level not to work out it would be just simple things like oh I'm too tired but getting out there and and keep working out is is good fun keeps my my brain occupied and you know as far as <clears throat> the X factor um paranormal conference that was supposed to be held in Alton um Unfortunately, I just got some news the other day that it will not happen this year no. yeah a lot a lot of people are surprised, but um you know one of the major coordinators is experiencing um an illness a major illness in her family, and she needs to keep her schedule open to deal with that so we we completely send out our sympathies
1: absolutely to her
5: and her family I mean family and health absolutely, and all of us comes first, and uh you know we'll do it next year it's you know it's we're we're going to be here, so we'll just, you know, we'll just get ready and gear it up for next year.
1: Well, we, we have a call coming in, so when we go right to the phones.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: good evening, around on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing?
0: Hi, this is your friendly neighborhood demonologist. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Keith Johnson.
0: Yes.
5: Hey, how are you?
0: This is Donna.
5: Yes, it is. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. It's so good to hear from you. Oh,
5: it's good to hear from you, too.
0: And we loved you being on our show.
5: Uh, I love being on your show. I can't wait to go back. It was a blast. I could have sat there easily for five hours
1: and talked with you guys. Well, we'll
0: certainly have to have you back. That was such a popular episode.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> and you can still download it, right, Keith, if you go oh, to your yes. site?
0: yeah, definitely. Definitely you can still download
1: it. Just go to nearparanormal.com and click on the Ghosts are Near Archives.
0: Yes, we had so much fun. It,
5: it, was, it was. It was a blast from the past, but it was also it was. Being good friends like you haven't seen before and also just really connecting with, with Carl and, and Sandra and, and Keith there it was just it was a lot of fun I have to say I mean I'm you know a lot of people don't know this about me but I, I don't really like being in front of the camera but uh, on his show I just I felt really relaxed and comfortable so I, I would do it again in a split second.
2: Do I have to be on? Do I have to be a cameraman again?
5: <laughs> oh yeah! I'll be have, the camera person, Matt. And you that
0: could can be your it. permanent position, Matt. You can be our permanent cameraman.
2: <laughs> yeah, hey, I'd help you guys out anytime. Thank
5: you very much. Thank you. And we're you. so glad
0: you're all right. And we want you to know we love you very much.
5: I love you guys too, and and I thank you for your prayers and your thoughts. I know you guys that uh, you you're some of the most genuine and passionate people I've ever met and uh, I just want everybody out there to know that because I really feel strongly about you guys and your group and your mission and everything and uh, I certainly can't wait to see you guys again. Uh, we have a lot of biz talk to catch up on too. There are a couple of cases we need to go over. So.
0: Oh yes, we do. A lot's coming up.
5: Yeah, a lot is coming up. So We will talk very, very soon.
0: We'll, I'll look forward to that. Thank you so much, dear. and Matt and Tim and Matt and everybody, Look forward to seeing you again soon
1: too. Okay. All, All right. Down, Thank take care, guys. You can't get rid of us, Keith.
0: I know. Never will. I don't <laughs> want to. <All> right, <laughs> take care, to Keith. Take care now. Bye bye. Bye, Keith. See you there. Oh, he's
1: so sweet. Uh, he is, and you know, he really is. A lot of people say, you know, I hear him on your show, and you know, I've seen him on ta- on Ghost Hunters. Is he really that nice of a guy? And he, he really he is. He just is. He, he totally is. You, you know, he
5: just has a presence about him that. You know, all good energy. He walks in a room. He always has a smile on his face. He's always one of those people that will really stop and listen to you and what you're saying in your conversation. And he has three things to contribute to it. So, I have to say, I, I have I have so much respect for that man and his group that uh, I can't say enough about them.
1: And, and you know, Jason said it on his show last week, and it it really is true. Like he knows everything. He, he retains everything he ever learns and. Mm-hmm. It's like having an encyclopedia at your fingertips at any time and, you know, just say, hey, Keith, what do you know about this? And, and he just, he's a sponge.
5: I mean, he'll just come out and list the facts and he'll list the theories and he'll tell you what his experience, experiences are. And he's so seasoned as an investigator that you could just literally sit there for, for days and listen to some of the things that him and his group have been through and some of the cases they've handled and his ideas on things. It truly, if anybody gets a chance to listen to, to Keith. I encourage them. Uh, he's, he's a wealth of information, certainly a cornerstone in the paranormal community.
1: And now, you have some things coming up uh, that you've been working on that are of a non-paranormal nature, too, right?
5: Yeah. I, um, I recently made a trip down to Jacksonville, Florida, where I worked with uh, WJCT's uh, PBS executive producer, John Osif on a pilot series called Artesian. Artesian is going to be a, sort of like a documentary of unpublished artists of the Northeast, Um, And I I was flattered and honored to be asked to come down and read some of my poetry pieces and also film a visual representation of them, sort of like a music video to each of the pieces. And and it was a blast. I had a great time down there for about four or five days, and we did three poetry pieces. Um, And and I totally support John, and I think it's a great project. I think think there's a lot of untapped uh, talent out there. You know, with different artists being, um, you know, whether it's a musician or a sculptor, a writer, I think uh, John's project is going to be able to reach these people and be able to give them some visibility.
1: Now, how did that work? Did they have you reading your own poem? or?
5: Yeah, I mean, they, they asked me first. They said, you know, do you want somebody else to read your poem or, or would you like to? And at first I thought, yeah, I'll have somebody else read it. But then I thought about it and said, you know what, you know, i will I'll do that. You know, I, I'll do it. It was important to me. I mean, each piece that you write is real personal. It comes from a real personal space, and you know, part of part of reading it and, and to the mental space, the emotional space, the spiritual space that you were in when you wrote the piece. So, you know, a couple of them I really didn't want to go back there, <laughs> but um, but I did, and and I think it came out well. I think the sentiments were expressed pretty good, and um, it, it certainly was. Is, he, was healing for me actually so and it was a great opportunity I had a great fun time working with John and and he's put together one of the pieces that I have now on my myspace for uh, my poem called convenient condition and and the other two will be coming up shortly unfortunately in my prayers go out to john he just <laughs> recently is recovering from a, a serious illness um, where he was in an ICU for five days and he's pulled through, he's out of it, so he'll be back to work soon and working on the project again. But my thoughts and prayers go out to John for a quick and speedy recovery.
1: Ours as well. About how long have you been writing for? I mean, is it something that's always been a passion of yours?
5: Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been writing for as long as I can remember. I have boxes and boxes filled of notebooks from as soon as I could write. Um, it, it's been a form of therapy for me. Uh, it's been... know, from journals to short stories to poems, um, writing down the most nonsensical stuff I can imagine, or anybody could, to, you know, some pretty interesting insights on life, and, you know, just kind of getting it down there before it leaves my brain. You know, most of the stuff we go through our day, we have our routine, we kind of are task-oriented. It's good to kind of, you know, take a pause during your day and and reflect on what you've just gone through or or what's coming up to kind of capture that snapshot of life of the day. And that's
1: what, what writing is for me. Well, you know, be, being uh, of a science background and being analytical by nature, it must be hard to, to turn that off and to just let the creative juices flow and to, to come out things from the other side of your brain. That's
2: not as uh, hard as you think.
1: But uh, being, a, being a writer myself, you know, for a living, I, I find it hard to be able to turn that aspect of it off and to just be able to jump into the creativity stuff.
5: No, you're right, Tim. I mean, I have to agree with Tim on this one. It's it's a very difficult task, and it's something that you just can't sit down and say to yourself, okay, at 6 o'clock I'm going to write for a half an hour, and it's going to come out marvelous, mm-hmm. and everything's going to be completely the way I want it to. I mean, writing is really a progressive art. You know, you have to sit down, you have to wrangle with it. You have to sometimes sit for hours and look at that page, and, and maybe you'll get a word out, um, and then you go back to it. So it. it For me personally i have to be extremely moved by emotion or an experience to sit down and then it just it pours out of me um in those moments uh, those those times can be very far if you in between and but i i try to capture you know and utilize and capitalize on those experiences to get out the poetry to get out the lesson or what i'm trying to express but you're right tim i mean i'm you know, I'm just like everybody else. I get up in the morning, I have my routine, I've got to be here, I've got to be there, I've got to go to work, I've got to come home, got to make dinner, go shopping. You know, you, you can't schedule art. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, art does have to happen. And when you're moved by something, it's really important to have the awareness to say, okay, I'm just going to pause and and let this sit and be with me and let me just be in this moment and try to capture it, whether it's through painting or writing a know a poetry piece or breaking out a guitar or something that that's the key i, I believe because there's so many times we're inspired by things in life where, you know we get whether it be a song on the radio or somebody said something the right way and you you just stop and think about it but not many people you know harness that
1: minding creative minded even when he's doing his research and when he's conducting experiments he's always got his mind thinking in that mode and you don't seem to really come out of it as much you know, you know what i mean
2: well i was an artist a musician and a poet long before i became a scientist
1: so yeah so your mind is just grounded and this and the work that you do uh scientifically speaking the, the you type
2: know, of work yeah you have to be creative
1: mm-hmm.
5: i think that's great matt i mean to have the combination free flowing at your fingertips at all time that's that's the best i mean that's the best situation
2: <laughs> as, as you well know you and i are write back and forth every day about various mundane items and sometimes i share with you various little proses that i may come up with
5: yeah matt does he's very creative he comes out with some great stuff that i just sit there and go huh
1: <laughs> he hasn't shared with you the dirty limericks yet has he because he's pretty good at those too
5: i've gotten a few uh questionable uh, emails <laughs> No, but, but all very much in good taste. Uh, Matt is very much a gentleman. Well, you
1: get the lucky ones, then. <laughs> <laughs> Although you do like some of the uh, funny stuff I send you. There. Yeah, Other you've, people... got,
5: you've definitely got a sense of humor, and you add levity to my day. So
1: As warped and twisted as it is,
5: you just have to. You just have to sit there. It's kind of like, you know, when you, you're you going out and you're all dressed up and you happen to step in a mud puddle and it slatters all over you, you just gotta sit back and laugh. I mean, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm glad to think I'm thought of as a mud puddle. <laughs>
5: No, I'm not trying
1: to. You're my mud
5: puddle in my life. I'm not trying to say that. I swear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it is. Right. Oh yeah, he may I'm not be a mud puddle, but it. he's
1: definitely all wet. <laughs> all right. Why don't we take a break here? On the other side, we'll talk more with Donna about uh, speaking of her scientific background. We'll talk to her about some stuff coming up. Uh, with the Hockamock Swamp and the proposed rail line. And I know that you had some, some pretty strong opinions on this.
5: Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> so
1: we'll, we'll, we'll read to everybody the story uh, that sparked this, and we'll explain what's going on, and, and we'll get Donna's take both uh, environmentally and paranormally. So stay tuned. We'll be back here with more on Spooky South Coast.
0: Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this.
5: Like that your
3: heart. You to scream,
1: Welcome back to Spooky South home. Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Don't ever leave me again. Whatever I did to make you mad, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm so buying you breakfast on Monday, which is going to be funny because you know where I'm buying yeah. it for you. I don't like breakfast. Yeah, especially from there. And uh, the science advisor, Matt Moniz, is here with us in the studio in the flesh.
2: Yeah, I'm real quick. Cool right, I just wanted you. to make sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so for the first time in like, I don't know, eight months, he's here. Uh, we'll find something else to send him on next week, though, just because we need to keep that seat open in case Keith wants to come back.
2: <laughs> Rather than call. <golf? laughs>
1: So, all right, but we are talking. Hey, I with, like
2: having him have my seat.
1: Yeah, well, he always brings something to the show. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, he always brings something. And I say to myself, well, gee, maybe he does a little research and a little digging, and he's, he's looking up some information. No, he just it, knows. It's just in there. It's already in there. So, And we love him. Uh, we do have on the phone with us Donna LaCroix, formerly of Taps and Ghost Hunters, now of a myriad of other There's a link on the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com, so you can stay up to date with everything that's going on. And as anybody who's on her MySpace can tell you, she's really great about, you know, if you leave a message for her, she gets back to you. She's very personable. She's very easy to 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 talk with, and she's always willing to offer advice. And
2: Yeah, she, uh, she writes me back, so she'll write anybody
1: that's back. True. Huh? That's true. That's <laughs> true. But one of the things that, while we were putting together this show uh, this week, uh, I got an email from last week's guest, Lauren Coleman, the cryptozoologist who coined the term Bridgewater Triangle. And uh, we talked about the Dover Demon, but he's very involved in the entire world of cryptozoology. He's the, the foremost expert on that. And you can get his new book, Mysterious America. It's the 2007 version of his 1983 classic, Mysterious America, in bookstores everywhere. But Lawrence sent me an email about something that appeared in the Globe about the Bridgewater Triangle, and he just wanted to make us aware of it. So when I found out what was going on, I said, gee, it's, it's kind of interesting then, that we have Donna coming on because of her background in environmental engineering. So why don't I just give everybody an idea of what's going on here? This is from Brian McGrory's uh, Globe column. And Matt, if I'm if I'm correct, was Brian McGrory the writer who wrote the story about... Bridgewater Triangle, where, where, where I you was, in well, yeah, actually. So I think
2: that's, that's right. why
1: you'll especially find it interesting some of the things he had to say, considering the fact that he worked on that story with you. Uh, this is called "Rail Line Deja Vu" by Brian McGroery, Boston Globe columnist. It ran on April 25th. Here we go again. That's what I was thinking as I drove around a town called Easton, looking for a place known as the Hockamock Swamp, which is evidently such an important body of water that local residents are marching in protest and running to court to protect it. Protected from what? Excellent question. Protected from the state's proposal to build a commuter rail from Boston to New Bedford and Fall River. Suddenly, everyone in town is an environmentalist, a champion of lizards and other creepy crawlies that squirm in the muck. In other words, we've seen this movie already. We saw it on the South Shore in a town whose name I can't quite remember, where some minority of petulant prima donnas, no offense Donna, held up the commuter rail proposal for more than a decade, costing the people of Massachusetts hundreds of millions of dollars in the process. In that town, Gingham, was it? It was Gingham, but the guy's just being, you know, facetious. They were all historians carping about the impact of the train on their ancient village. There was undoubtedly some body of water they were also trying to protect. Here in Easton, the locals have been blocking the push for a commuter rail through town to New Bedford and Fall River for many years. Maybe it's important to note that a rail bed already cuts right through the heart of Easton and the swamp, and there's even a thoroughfare known as Depot Street. I don't think that that's slang for court deposition. Doesn't matter. The town people want another slew of environmental impact studies. They've picketed planning meetings, and as recently as last month, a respected local selectman, John Haderly, was quoted in this paper as saying, the swamp has so many benefits. John, it's a swamp. Aren't swamps supposed to be filled in? If it were a nice place worthy of protection, wouldn't it at least be called a marsh? But wait, there's something else. The Hockamock Swamp, I find out, is considered to be, according to this very newspaper... In a story that he wrote, by the way, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll put that aside for now. A, quote, hotbed of reported supernatural events and strange sightings and experiences that date back hundreds of years. How else to put this? People have seen large half-man, half-ape creatures wandering the swamp. Others have fled the wrath of monster-sized dogs. There have also been reports of brightly lit UFOs hovering over it. It could all be completely natural, said Chris Balzano, a local specialist on the paranormal and frequent spooky South Coast guest. There are supposed, supposed to be areas of quicksand. There's a the risk of falling through thin ice or being attacked by a large pterodactyl type of bird or being chased by massive dogs with glowing red eyes. So I ask again to the citizens of Easton, this is what you're trying to protect. So that's pretty much just the beginning of it where it touches upon what we're going to talk about. Uh, Chris Balzano, uh, I don't know if he wants me to say this on the air, but I will. He said that that isn't exactly you know, how he put it or, or what he was inferring by that quote, which... We all know Chris Balzano very well. The Spooky South Coast listeners know Chris Balzano very well. Well, when Brian well.
2: interviewed me, he took a few things that I said and kind of moved it around, but it, it roughly says the same
1: thing. Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, what, they're, what it's about is the citizens of Easton are up in arms because they're going to slice through the Hockamock Swamp to run this rail line to New Bedford and Fall River. Uh, I've done some research. I've checked out some other stories from the papers, like the Brockton Enterprise, the Cape Cod Times, the Providence Business News. Uh, there is a proposal to run the plant to run this line, not through that line, but off the Middleborough Lakeville line that comes through uh, that will go to Wareham and then running it back up this way, uh, which will actually be a, a few million dollars cheaper than this plan. But essentially, Governor Deval Patrick has said that there will be rail service to the south coast by 2016 and slicing through the Hockamock Swamp is the best way to do it. I offered uh, John Haderly a chance to come on with us. Uh, he uh, denied the uh, opportunity. He said he he wasn't interested in coming on, but um, we really don't have anybody involved in the process uh, in the town of Easton with us tonight, so we'll definitely touch upon this in the future. But Donna, just your thoughts, at least from an environmental aspect, of needing to protect a place like the Hockamock Swamp.
5: Well, first of all, uh, the Huckamuck Swamp, whether it's a, a swamp or marsh, it's still technically a wetland. And what many people don't realize about swamps, they think they're unsightly and they should be filled in and, and you know, roads built over. You know, wetlands are, are, are extremely important. Uh, from an environmental point of view, there are so many animals that depend on the wetlands for, for some part of their life cycle. Uh, they're very productive and support a rich soil. Web of life. Um, they provide shelter and food for fish. They are also a great form of flood control by soaking up the water that that you know the excess water from rain. Um, they make the water cleaner. They filter out things and make the water uh, that that make the water impure like chemical pollu- pollutants. They settle to the bottom. Um, so the, the wetlands actually do function as a great part of our environmental ecosystem. Now, the I did a little research at the Hackamock swamp is about 5,000 acres, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty sizable area. I mean, and and from what I've read, it's, quote, one of the largest of its kind in the entire northeast U.S. So it has significant environmental value. Um, From an engineer's point of view, I mean, well, first of all, from a political point of view, I can see why they want to do it. It's, you know, it's the straightest shoot from where they want to go to where they want to be. So, okay, let's just cut through the swamp. But it's not just cutting through the swamp and the wetlands. Uh, the you know the governor also wants to help help flip the bill by developing um, the economy along the railway. Exactly. So you're not only talking about just putting a rail line through the swamp. You're talking about establishments and urban developments going along. All so you're going to be exploiting. I'm sure more than seventy percent of the swamp, um, and that's a significant amount uh, of area. So you're not just like when people just say, oh, it'd be great, you know, bring in, you know industry and it'll bring jobs and it'll get all these cars off the road and, and that way it can offset the environment's impact. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough to justify, you know, carving through one of the largest swamps and wetlands in the northeastern U.S. If there are other alternatives, uh, certainly you need to explore them. Now, I worked for the Department of Environmental Management of Rhode Island for eight years as an air quality permit writer, and I can certainly tell you that before any permits are issued um, in air quality or for wetlands it, it, it's going to take significant study so mm-hmm. in terms of getting permits through you're looking at it a number of years and i'm, I'm sure their council's prepared uh, for that uh, financially and time-wise um, and I'm, I'm certain that environmentalists are going to do their best to put up arguments for why this is, is not going to be a great idea um, i don't think it's a great idea I mean, that's just my personal opinion. If there's other alternative routes, why cut through this area, 5,000 acres, which will probably be developed into, you know, stores and strip malls and, uh, you know, housing all along that, and you're going to ruin a natural resource that actually helps the environment.
1: Well, you know, that was my original thought, is if they're going to cut through the middle of the swamp, you know, what's the big deal if it's just going to be the rail essentially coming over the existing lines that are, you know, old and have fallen out of use. But if you just, you know, use that that rail that bisects the land and you're just bringing the commuter rail through it, you know, I understand it would have environmental impact, but it wouldn't be that bad. It'd
2: be localized.
1: Yeah, but, and I was like, you know, hey, at the very least, it'll start getting some more people through the swamp and there might be more reports. And, but right. at the same time, you know, I didn't realize in, until I thought about it, and until you said it, you know, the development that will spring up around it.
5: Oh, absolutely! They will take full advantage of the economic development because it's going to help offset some of the bill of putting. I believe this project is, is over one billion dollars from yes. start to finish. I mean that's a one point
1: four. Yeah, that's
5: a huge chunk of change, and already I believe the state of Massachusetts, as far as their highways and roads, are suffering. Um, so to take that money, existing money that won't go towards your existing roads to repair them and put this towards this project you have to have some strong argument and from the political party standpoint sure this is a a great you know sort of uh, little market here going oh yeah we we can help flip the bill we're going to build up all around it and you know what that means that means carving more into the swamp So you know when people realize you know that it's not just a railway it's actually a lot of economic development along that way that they Starts, you got to think in numbers here the marsh is going to significantly decrease and your wetlands are going to significantly decrease and that's going to have an impact on the in the current ecosystems that support that wetland which is it's huge 5,000 acres so um, you know in another point of view too in terms of the paranormal stuff I know this is part of the, the uh, bridgewater triangle mm-hmm. um, you know like you said earlier you know uh, on the other flip side of the it would be interesting to see if they did put up this railway and had all this economic development, what kind of reports and stories would come out of it. Um, you know, would it, would it stir up some energy, would it, you know, w- would you get some people seeing some interesting creatures out there that have only been, you know, legends up until this point? I mean, you got to think it's, it would be more opportunities because more people would be out there actively living and going through and existing in that area. But um, I, I still, you know, as an environmentalist, first and foremost, and I love the paranormal, I, you know, I, I all have a passion for it. I don't believe anything is worth sacrificing uh, for the environment, especially when there are alternative solutions. And even for the paranormal studies, you know, go out there on field trips and, and check out the swamp, but don't put a railway, through, a railway way through it and all this housing and urban development just for the fact of getting, you know, trying to get stories back. It would be interesting if they did it, and not say I wouldn't listen or tune in or check in. I <laughs> certainly would. Flush out that
1: Bigfoot and flush yeah. out those Thunderbirds. And,
5: and see if there's any UFO sightings, like they've, you know, been saying for years and mm-hmm. years, and a Bigfoot and, you know, all these creatures, these mad dogs with red eyes that come out. I mean, yeah, I'd be, you know, asking everybody in the area, have, have you heard anything interesting or if anything strange happened? But, you know, I certainly wouldn't promote it just for that fact. No way. No way. I think it's, it's a huge detriment to the environment. And, you know, a lot of people out there listening are saying to me, she's crazy. She doesn't live in the state. She doesn't know what kind of money it's going to bring. It's going to bring X amount of jobs to the area. It's going to live enough, New Bedford and Fall River and all this. That may be true, but there are other ways to stimulate the economy. Don't kill the environment for it.
1: Well, we have a call coming in. Uh, but before we take the call, I just want to point out, uh, in a story that ran in the April 16th Providence Business News uh, by Paul M. B.C., uh, Kyla Bennett, who is the director of the New England chapter of Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, a nonprofit organization, and she's also lived in Easton for 17 years, she pointed out in the story that uh, the trains run on diesel, and she also said that the MBTA is expecting a total of 2,953 new riders, which are going to spend $1.4 billion to help essentially 3,000 people get into the city a little bit easier
5: yeah i mean ultra ultra low sulfur diesel fuel is certainly better than than the number six diesel fuel out there, but um and yeah, you're gonna be pulling more cars off the road and cutting down on air emissions that way, but you know what you're still putting emissions back in the air by running the train,
0: yeah you absolutely. still are
5: i mean you you know it's it's six one half dozen or the other. You can look at this from an environmental standpoint and try to offset some of the environmental factors for and against the rail. Um, I think the cards are stacked too high in favor uh, environmentally to put in the rail. I just think, I don't think it's worth, especially when you have other alternatives. I could see if there was not any other alternatives, but there are alternate routes. I mean, I, I believe there's I don't know, three or four other alternate routes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have to explore them. You know, don't just make it, this isn't, this is, This project has been going on, I think, in the or in the works the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, since at least 1991, there's been serious, serious movement toward it.
5: And, uh, you know, and every political statesman that's come abroad and try to, you know, pioneer this, this project into play and wants to stamp his or her name on it, um, they've got to stop and consider that there are a lot. there's a lot more at stake than just kind of making a name. And, and then I may sound kind of bold and brassy, <laughs> but, you know, like I said, I'm a tree hugger and I just... I see the earth and, and all the detriment we're doing to it, and a lot of good things that people are doing for it, too. But this is something we really have to sit back and go, you know, is it worth it? Is it really, really worth it? And people, like I said, they look at swamps and marshes, and, and they're sometimes they're unsightly, but they have a definite role in our ecosystem. And many people don't re- realize the benefits of wetlands. So I think it's important to start educating the public about the importance of wetlands to the environment, and maybe they'll start looking a little differently at this whole
1: situation. Well, you know what's funny is uh, here at WBSM they talk about things like the, the proposed rail all day long. And, uh, you know, we just mentioned it here at 1146 on a Saturday night, the phone lines are lighting up. So <laughs> oh. if, you, if you want to take some calls yeah. on this, let's go right to the phones. Certainly. All right, good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hello? Hi, you're on Spooky South Coast. Yeah, can you
0: um, get to some of the uh, spooky stuff?
1: Well, I mean, we're we're just talking about the... And,
0: and, and uh, stuff like
1: that. <laughs> are you still there, sir? No? I
5: think he...
1: Uh... Well, the, I mean, we're talking about it because of the level of activity that happens in the Hockamock Swamp and the Bridgewater Triangle. That's why we're bringing it out there, because you're not only destroying something that we want to see protected for natural purposes, but also because it's... So many people are going out there and investigating it and and trying to get to the bottom of what's going on out there and i'd hate to see everything flushed out of there or have all this activity you know stop or negatively affected by this rail line let's go to the next call here good evening on spooky south coast how you doing
4: good evening folks how are you
1: all right
0: how are you
4: i like spooky stuff and i like uh (laughs) political talk and real talk um can i just say i agree with um your guest that i mean we need to look at a lot of options um uh, I think it's short-sighted to just look at what the governor's saying today because, it, 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 you, you know, you, we need to look out. They're not going to be able to pay for it for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So um, by that time, who knows, who knows what's going to come along with electrical, um, which might wipe out the diesel thing. We won't have to worry about that. And there is a balance that can be reached. Um, there's plenty of balances that go on in this state every day in, in the wetlands um, situation. The wetlands are very important. Um, however... Um, there's ways to um, ways to use the wetlands to benefit not only um, nature and keep the wetlands active and to, and to um, uh, enable growth within the state. And just to shut it down and say, no, 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 I don't think that's fair. I think this you know this part of the state has suffered long enough, and I can't see just 3,000 people taking the train. I, I, I can imagine it's going to be more than that. And, you know, as this part of the state grows, um, um, you know, I think that will increase. But um, I, I just think it's, um, you know, it's good that you look at all options. But um, looking at what's today is available, I don't think that that's going to work in 10 years. I think, you know, look at, the, look at the price of gasoline now, and that leads over to diesel. What's it going to be in 10 years? So mm-hmm. um, building a diesel engine today to use in 10 years, that's not a good thing. They need to look at other options. But I, like I said, I think you can make a balance and still go through that swamp and, and not cause as much trouble as... Um, you know, and I hate to say NIMBY, you know, the NIMBY people, yeah. um, they don't want it in their backyard. But
1: Well, and also, from the, I mean, you said you like the spooky stuff, too. From a paranormal point of view, you know, with what we've talked about here of what goes on in that swamp, I mean, is that, how much damage can we do on, on that end of things?
4: I think the, uh, the spirits, whatever's out there, um, uh, deal with it fine. T- take a city like London, which is full of uh, paranormal, and that's a huge urban center. And you know something? it still goes on today and they're constantly building in there so um i don't think it's going to sure you know maybe we'll disturb it to some degree but i don't think it's going to end it or you know it's going to flush out whatever's there and send it somewhere else i think it's um you know the, the the spirit world uh um survives within this world today you know some people don't believe it some do i'm not sure where i lie on it but i'm sure there's probably something out there um and they learn to deal with it, and you know, I'm sure they would learn to deal if there was a train running through the swamp. Well,
1: it's a, it's a different way of looking at it than what we are, and I think that uh, <laughs> you might actually be right. You know, it, it does monies, it does adapt, uh, improvise, improvise, and overcome.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think about, I mean, every place on Earth that's, that's, that's reportedly haunted has been through several reconstructions over time. Things have been built over. This, you know, right. so I'm not saying that, um, you know, putting in this rail and, and it will or um, you know somehow detrimentally impact our study on the paranormal in this area. It may shift things. We like I said, we may even get more stories out of it because we have more reports of people. But back to the beginning of your conversation, um, you said there was a you know definitely a balance that could be could be uh, brought with both sides, and and I do agree with you on that. I just I think it's important um, to to look at all sides, but. I find there's a, a, a huge lacking of understanding of wetlands in general among the public, and a lot of people read the paper, and a, most, of the, most of it is politically skewed. And, and people have to really do the research and decide for themselves what's, what's the best decision. If but you don't all, you think
4: that there's strong um, wetland uh, laws? I'll give you an example. I have a friend, his father, um, filled in a little part of his backyard. Um, and it, it determined it was wetlands, and it cost him thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to correct it.
5: Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. in Rhode Island, I mean, you can't pull skunk cabbage from your own wetland in your backyard or build anything of it within 100 feet. I mean, yeah, the wetland rules are, are a little bit crazy in that sense.
4: Well, uh, I, I don't believe that that's great. I think it, that's where the good balance lies. It, it, it's been very carefully researched, and I think the um, – Maybe the political powers kind of use it as a wedge issue a lot of times, and the public don't understand it. And really I think the only time we understand it is when I want to build a house and somebody comes along and says, you can't, it's wetlands. You know what I'm saying? So um I, I think there's plenty of knowledge out there about it. I just think it, um, to me, wetlands tends to be used against when people want to do stuff, not necessarily for stuff, but, but well, right, look at the wetlands
5: wetlands i mean we we've put highways and, and urban developments over tons of wetlands over the united right. states i mean it, this is not a new thing this is not a whole new concept it's just looking at the area and trying to preserve something because you know they're not like i said they're not just going to put the rail through it they're going to pretty much i would say cover most of the part, most of this wetland and this is the largest wetland in the northeastern united states Huge. I so, would disagree with
4: you there. I, I, to me, from seeing what the the, the governor's proposed, I, I can see him cleanly putting a train line through there with no other development. Now, I can see the development at the end of the rail line in New Bedford in this area for where it's going to end up. Um, but I don't think he's going to be building rest stops and train stations in the middle of the swamp. I, I, I just don't see it happen, to be honest with you.
5: Well, that's that's not what he said in one of his articles I read recently. But, you know, who knows? You know who knows what his intentions are I just am going off of what he said in terms of offsetting the bill and, and sort of uh, as an argument uh, of why to spend the money um but who knows like you said who knows what's gonna happen I, well, I, you I you
4: know we don't know what will come along and you know maybe it'll be a some type of monorail system that won't even need to go it'll be above the swamp who knows you know I and just,
5: maybe uh, maybe the whole thing will be run on biodiesel by that point which is right
4: you we're going right where my head
0: was here
5: you know which yeah. was, which is, I'm a huge proponent for, uh, you know, I think biodiesel, you know, in these trains would, would definitely be a, a good argument to have it and, and also be working with the environment and, and the economic and, the economical needs of the city.
4: Right, I agree with you. balance. That's the important word there and I think it can, I think it can be achieved on all levels. Can, can I just ask you guys to comment? What do you think about the, uh, the Wampanoags, uh, buying the land or bidding on the land? I believe it's in Middleboro. Um, and they're gonna, I guess, call that tribal land. Do you think?
1: Um, well, they've already you, they've already got the rail service extended to there, so that achieves uh, what what they were looking for. You know what right, I mean? What? They've, they've got the good destination. I'm with all the paranormal reports that have been coming out of Middleborough, especially as, as Chris Balzano says that. Tri- I mean, I'm just talking from a paranormal point of view uh, right. because I don't, civically and and economically, and you know, I, I live right in Wareham. I don't see an issue with it. Um, in terms of that stuff, but from a paranormal point of view, there's been so much activity that's been reported out of there lately, and I'd hate to see, you know, this type of development come in and not respect that land. Being the Wampanoag Indians, I can't imagine it wouldn't be. Um, but just with the history of what's going on, we're just starting to yeah. get good reports out of there that I'd, I'd hate to see that stop. But as you do know, you see it as
4: a magnet. If if they designate that as tribal land, do you see that as sort of drawing spirit kind of?
1: I think they're, they're, they're already there. There's yeah. already so much of it there, and our, our friend Edward Lodi has written numerous books on it. Uh, I was talking with Derek Bartlett earlier today, and you know he he calls it a hornet's nest. You know, you're poking a hornet's nest with a stick, they're all going to come out and go after you, and, right. and that could be very much what we see there. So,
4: Well, I appreciate you giving me so much time. I enjoy the show. You guys well, take care. Thank you.
1: Thanks for your comment. Yeah, we're, we're We're just about at the end of the show tonight, but we will. You know, I want to try and see, and I don't know how feasible it is. We'll see if we can get Mayor Lang and... And uh, and Governor Patrick and we'll see if we can get some response from them and see if they actually want to come on the show and talk about you know how this is going to work from a paranormal point of view. I don't know if they'll do it because I know that the v. selectman from Easton didn't want to do it, but we will extend the invitation out to them and I I, I haven't seen them turn down a microphone yet so.
5: <laughs> <laughs> maybe
1: we maybe we can get them, and, and of course, if we do that, Donna, we need you to be on our panel that night.
5: Oh, I definitely will. I'll probably hate me by the end of the conversation, but <laughs> I got <laughs> right. you
2: back, honey. Remember, I worked in an environmental lab for seven years before I did what I'm doing now.
5: Yeah, and you know, and I worked for the state government for eight years as a your quality permanent writer, and I know all sides of of the argument, and and I see all sides. Um, I just, you know. I'm an envir- I come from a very strong environmental standpoint, so I am biased in that sense. But, you know, balance is always a good thing, and it's always good for all parties to consider all the options and to pick the best one that's going to be great for the environment, for the economy, and for everybody involved. And sometimes that takes years to establish, but I, I think with time and, and uh, very mindful, insightful studies and participation from, from uh, the public, I think that can be achieved.
1: Well, I also think that the paranormal community in this area can all band together and, and help protect our little hot spot of activity, our little vortex uh, here in Massachusetts. Uh, Donna, do you think uh, everybody can keep up to date with everything that's going on with you via your MySpace, or you're just, just going to have to start DonaldLacroix.com sooner or later?
5: <laughs> Somebody already bought that. <laughs> really? They,
1: they did it in anticipation of charging you like thousands of yeah, dollars? Yeah, yeah. I
5: mean, no, actually the person who did it, did it with good intentions at first.
1: I am going to say, it might be John Horrigan. He buys uh. every website. <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, and he started sort of this. Um, the person who who bought the Donna at blacory started a message board, but I, I asked for a season's assist of it because it, it, I just. You I
1: didn't don't want think, your name tied into it, yeah, If you didn't have control over it,
5: exactly. Um, and then it, it kind of got ugly, where you know.
1: Tell me about it. I got that damn flute player guy still using my name. Oh, anyway, sorry. Go <laughs> ahead. Sorry.
5: No, but you know, you know, it's just funny because you know when it comes down to it, and you respect why you want to to have your own, you know, name.com, um, you know, tries to swindle you out of thousands of dollars and then goes and tells you he sold it to another Donald <laughs> So, you know, that's just, but, you know, yeah, people and fans can keep up with me on my MySpace. Um, I'm always going in there and, and trying to keep everybody up to date on the latest and greatest and what's going on and and uh, what's going on with me. And, and uh, I am certainly very accessible. I try to get back to everybody. Um Sometimes it takes a couple of days, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little shorter. But I, I try to read everybody's email and at least kind of comment, a quick comment back to
1: them. So. Right. Well, we thank you. We thank you for hanging on with us. And we'll have you back sometime in the future where we don't have to keep you on hold for an hour.
5: <laughs> That's okay. Well, I thank you guys for having me on this show. I all definitely right. got a good chuckle out of the first half of it. Take care,
1: and we're, we're glad you're okay.
5: Thank you very much. I have a
1: good one. Good night, and guys. For everybody Bye. out there, we invite you all to stay spooktacular. We'll be back next week with an all-new show. So stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for more.
3: the supernatural is something that isn't